Wednesday, October 10, 2018. This is Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. Back from a short hiatus, uh, a little break. Uh, I think I've put out one episode maybe in the past month, uh, maybe five weeks even. Uh, I haven't even checked the dates, but uh, I took a little break uh, to sort of gather myself, to catch up on some other projects, to uh, assist others in some other projects, to really take a look at the podcast and what we can do moving forward as we're coming up on episode 120. That'll be next week. Uh, and the, the podcast has been in existence for about two years now. It was pretty remarkable. Uh, and so I decided to take a break to uh, reevaluate things and look at what I wanted to do moving forward. Um, looking forward to bringing you more valuable interviews, hoping to possibly introduce a video component uh, to some of these interviews, hoping to do some more roundtables, hoping to get some more contributions from other uh, other staff offices and other efforts inside of VA. Uh, that's something that I'm, I'm pushing hard to do. So uh, the podcast uh, is still here. Don't worry if you've wondered, uh, uh, hey, where's Born the Battle? Don't worry. It's still here. We're moving forward. Uh, just want to uh, take a little time to decompress and, uh, and and really look at what we can do to make this program better. I hope everybody down south is safe, everybody that's in the path of Hurricane Michael. Hopefully uh, you have um, gotten to safety or, or um, have taken the precautions necessary to ensure your safety. Uh, if you have any concerns about uh, VA Medical Center's operating status in your area, if you go to va.gov, you'll see an alert banner there on the front page. Uh, there is a link uh, that's highlighted with at our website. So um, follow updates regarding VA Medical Center's operational status at our websites. That will take you to a web page that is dedicated to everything you need to know about um, how to inquire on your benefits, your healthcare, etc. during a disaster, and also has uh, updated information on medical facilities and other VA, VA properties and facilities as, as far as whether or not they're open and their operating status. So va.gov, click the link that's in that alert banner. That'll take you to the page with the Hurricane Michael updates. This week's interview is with Elliot McKenzie. This is an interview that I actually conducted prior to my little break, uh, so I'm excited to finally get this out because this was a really interesting um, interview that I had with him. He uh, he reached out, um, interested in being on the podcast, and uh, he's a R&B artist, and so I listened to uh, a couple of his songs and and really enjoyed them. I decided to bring him on to talk about it, and uh, one of the one of the topics we get into is dealing with PTSD and TBI while in public, um, and sort of the response you get from people around you. And he really addresses that in the song "Gunshots" that he did with uh, with with an artist by the name of the Marine rapper. Um, and so Elliot and I are going to talk about his his time in the Marine Corps, his transition out, uh, his struggles with depression and, and PTSD, his stint with homelessness, um, and sort of where he is now as an artist, how music is helping him cope. Um, and at the very end of the episode, we'll actually hear, I'll actually play the track that we reference um, so, you can, uh, so you can hear the song and, and, and know what Elliot's talking about. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
I served in Vietnam. I served in World War II. I served in Afghanistan. And VA serves us all. No matter when you served. No matter if you saw combat or not. There are benefits for veterans of every generation. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov. All right, on the phone with me, I have Elliot McKenzie. See, there we go. I got it right. Uh, Elliot was is a Marine Corps veteran. Sir, thank you so much for joining me. Of course, of course. Thank you for having me. So uh, you, you're uh, a musician. Uh, you're, you're an R&B artist. I see the, the tag R&B Vet uh, on your website, and I'm really excited to talk to you uh, about your music. You've actually collaborated with a friend of mine recently. But, but before we get into your current vocation, let's go back to that one day that all of us veterans have in common, and that's the decision to join the United States military. What madness drove you into enlisting in the, in the Marine Corps? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, in high school, I was very athletic. I played football. I was on swim team. Um, I was in um, ROTC when I was in high school. I actually went to a high school that was a Marine Corps ROTC high school um, for high school students that aspired to go into either law enforcement or the military. And so that steered me in the direction of the Marine Corps. Um, and I knew that the Marine Corps was very demanding physically, and I wanted to go into a branch that fit my personality the best. And so I felt like the Marine Corps was the best choice for me because of the physical fitness, the high demand for discipline, the extremely high standards. And I wanted to go into something where I had a lot of sense of pride and earning the title Marine through graduation, through boot camp was, um, a goal of mine in high school. Like I just wanted to earn the title of Marine and become a Marine um, and go and be able to say that I accomplished that challenge. And so I think that's what steered me towards the Marine Corps. Yeah, I get you. And, uh, you know, I, um, uh, I joked at the beginning there, my, my listeners uh, know that, I, and I'm not sure if you're familiar, I'm, I'm a Marine Corps veteran myself. And um, okay. you know, yeah, I remember when, you know, those, that, those first year, that first year in, like when you hit the first bit of suck in the Marine Corps, you all look at each other like, why, why do we do this? Why, why? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what did I get myself into? Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, my my brother in law is in the Air Force, and uh, he oh. uh, and you know we give each other a hard time a little bit, but uh, you know he would always jo- he would always tell me about like when Marines would try to like make fun of him or, like for being in the Air Force and he, for like for the Air Force being so like cushy and a little more laid back and stuff, and, uh, yeah. and he'd be like, "Yeah, uh, I'm staying in the Hilton and you're sleeping in a firing hole, and I don't know what, what, what <laughs> and, and I'm a moron here, like yeah." So right, uh, so uh, Marines definitely, uh, you know, uh, go into it knowing that they're gonna uh, take a little bit of that hardship. And I, I'm with you, and I. Uh, when I enlisted, a lot of it was just uh, that that desire for the title, um, and yeah. Uh, yeah. What? Uh, so you o three eleven, right? Yeah. So I was in eighty one fifty two and in o three eleven. So I enlisted into um, security forces. I got selected for presidential support duty in Washington D.C. Um, in boot camp, and so um, I initially enlisted as an O three eleven, and then while I was in recruit training, I got selected for that, and so then they made my B billet or my uh, my BMOS uh, eighty one fifty two, which is security forces, um, 
So I went to security forces for two years, did that. And then I spent the other two years in um, at 1st Battalion, 5th Marines at Camp Pendleton as an 0311. Interesting. So, how, so this is something uh, as an air winger, I have no I have no idea how this works. Did they okay. just randomly select you like in boot camp? Like here, here like come, come here, Mackenzie. Like, what, like, like, guess what you're going to do? Like, <laughs> I, like, did you have to, like, did you have to volunteer at all? Or did they seriously just look at you like, yeah, you're doing this? Well, the the way that it worked was I was in recruit training and one of my drill instructors came up to me and he said, hey, you've been selected for this duty. You're going to report to this building at this time. So that part wasn't an option. So I reported to that building at that time that day. And when I got there, they basically said, you have been selected. There was a group of us. There wasn't just me. There was about, I'd say, 15 to 20 recruits in that um, classroom. And they said, you guys have been selected for presidential support duty. They explained us to us what it was, which is basically um, there's a very small group of Marines that are selected to work at the presidential retreat and other places in DC to help protect the president of the United States. And so, um, I guess, I don't know how I got selected or what the criteria for selection is, but somehow I got selected with the other recruits in the room. And then at that point, after they explained it to us, they said, you can either choose to do this or you can choose to just do what you enlisted to do when you talk to your recruiter. So I was like excited and I was like, wow, an opportunity to go work in D.C. and do this special duty. So I took the opportunity and I volunteered. Yeah. How did you enjoy living and working in D.C.? Oh, it was amazing. I want to go back there. I either want to retire there or I just want to live there, go back and just live there for like six months just because I miss it. Wow. It was amazing. Okay. Uh, very well. I don't hear, I don't hear too many people that lived here that want to come back. I know a lot of people that live here that are cool with staying, uh, but yeah. I haven't heard a lot of people that, that have lived here left and, and, and want to come back here, especially as specific as like retirement or just the, the love to be back here. Well, it's good to hear. Um, yeah. So when you, um, so what what difficulties did you have then going back into a ground unit having a couple years in now uh but on this B billet? Um the biggest thing was earning respect from my fellow Marines who hadn't been in security forces. Um I learned very quickly that the grunt units look at Marines who come from security units um differently because we're not you know in the in the 03 field you kind of have to earn your place you know it's kind of like being on a football team when you're the yeah. rookie you have to earn your place because it's a very demanding job it's very physically demanding it's just intense you know that's the front lines of combat and so even though I was already a lance corporal and I I had been in the marine corps for 2 years when I got there they didn't respect me as much as they respected the other lance corporals and corporals and even some of the PFCs that had been in the 03 units since their entrance into the Marine Corps because of the fact that I hadn't been to combat yet. I hadn't even really trained as an 0311 outside of um, SOI. And so because of that, I had to earn my respect as an 03 all over again, pretty much. Yeah, but you I'm sure you earned their respect uh, soon enough as you, you did end up deploying to Ramadi, right? Yeah, so I got there in late 2004, early 2005 um, from D.C., and then we deployed to Ramadi literally two months later in February. So it took me – it only I only had about two months to earn my place and get my respect and, you know, figure out – I'll figure out the grounds and everything. And luckily, I – 
um, I got there right when they were training for rotation. So I jumped right into a training, you know, cycle and everything went really smooth. Yeah. Tell me, um, so either from, from any part of your time in, whether it was while you were in that infantry and we were in security forces at any time, tell me about a, a close friend or a great leader that you had while you're in. So while I was in one five, while we were in Ramadi, I was in Charlie company and the, uh, company commander was, um, captain Maloney, John Maloney. He was probably the best company commander that I've ever had. He was very informative with his Marines. His leadership style was different than your average um, officer or your average like senior NCO in the Marine Corps, where typically they just tell you what to do. They don't tell you why. You know, they just say, I need you to do this. This is what we're going to do, blah, blah, blah. Don't listen or don't ask any questions. Just do it. Get it done. Um, That, you know, the instant willingness of obedience to orders. And so. His style was different because he would actually take the time to explain to us why we were doing what we were doing so we would understand it and we would have a clear picture of the big picture. And he would explain things from an officer's perspective and say, "Okay, I've been told we need to do this because of this. So I need you guys to do it. And he would explain it so that we would see the big picture, not just, "Okay, he told us to do this and we're going to do this. And so I really appreciated that. And his style of leadership was very personable. He was very easy to talk to. If you needed to speak to him directly, it wasn't that typical situation where you get yelled at for not going through your chain of command. If you were to go straight to straight to him and talk to him, he wouldn't have an issue with it. Um, So unfortunately, he was killed in Ramadi. He was KIA when uh, 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 an IED went off underneath his Humvee and him and the Lance Corporal who were in his uh, passenger seat were both killed um, in an ambush, it was an IED and then small arms fire um, after that. Um, so unfortunately, he was killed in Ramadi. Um, he was given um, posthumously, I think it's called the the Left Witch. I'm not sure which what exactly what the name of it is, but um, there's an there's an award that's given to officers um, for exemplary leadership skills. And I think it's called the left witch award. I'm not sure what, what it was, but he was the only, as far as I know, he's the only, um, Marine that's been given it after death. Um, and he was given that award. Um, but yeah, his leadership was definitely, um, an influence on me. Um, he was very easy for me to approach whenever I approached him, whether it was in Ramadi or before we left, it was very easy for me to communicate with him. And I now, when I became an NCO and I became a corporal, I adapted his leadership style and I took pieces of what I learned from his leadership style and I used them in my leadership. And I actually got kind of the same results. So when I had Lance corporals and PFCs and brand new corporals who were under me, I used his leadership styles and it, it really worked. And I got known within the battalion later on after we got home from Ramadi as being an approachable NCO. And I even had other Marines who were like Lance corporals skipping their <laughs> corporals and coming to me for advice or coming to me for situations because they, they felt like my leadership style was, I guess, be- I don't want to say better, but better for them, better suited for them. And so um, I became known in my unit for my leadership, but it all, beca- it all came from me using what I had learned from Captain Maloney. Yeah. Okay. So what um, did how, how, when you returned from Ramadi, how long between coming back from deployment and you exiting the Marine Corps? So we got back um, in September 2005, and then I got out of the Marine Corps in, um, what was it, March, I think? March 2007, so about two years. Okay. Um, yeah, just under two years. 
and what so what prompted what prompted your uh your transition out then it was it was it a decision on your own was it what was it so the next deployment that we went on in 2006 was to uh the 31st mu in okinawa japan and while all this other stuff was happening um a couple of my close buddies that were in the Marine Corps in my unit knew that I was a musician because I had been doing music since I was in high school. I'd been in gospel choir in high school. I played drums in high school. So I'd been singing since I was a kid. And while I was in Okinawa, one of my friends in our battalion introduced me to a Marine who was stationed in Okinawa for two years. And he actually was a music producer. And so he had a recording studio in his barracks room he put he actually somehow constructed a a small recording studio in his wall locker <laughs> and um <laughs> yeah crazy right that's awesome yeah <laughs> so yeah so he was actually well known around you know the area cuz he was he had been there for just under 2 years when i met him and so um a lot of marines who were like rap rap artists and you know doing that kind of music hustle on the side went to him for stuff and i was introduced to him because one of my friends introduced us and said hey this guy he's a producer you know mckenzie sings you guys should work together while we're here in oki so i ended up working with him and a few other marines who were active duty who were stationed there and we ended up actually recording an album together and that kind of kicked off my you know my drive to become a musician after leaving the marine corps and so what got me out was um I found out about I can't remember the name of it, but there's a program in the Marine Corps where if you're towards the end of your contract and you get accepted into a college, you can actually get out of the Marine Corps early. Okay. Um, and so I got myself into that program. I um, sent in an application to a, a college in California in Hollywood called Musicians Institute, which is basically a college for people who want to break into the music industry. I got accepted into that school. And then through the program, I got out of the Marine Corps early and went to that school. And so basically I got out of the Marine Corps to pursue my dreams in the music industry. Very well. What was, what was that Marine's name with the, um, with the studio? Oh, hold on. I have to remember. Oh, my God. I have TBI as well. Okay. I got if, you don't, if you don't remember, that's fine. I'm just, um, curi- I'm just curious no, if I'm familiar I, with him. Chastise. Oh, that was his name. Joel Chastine. That was his name. Okay. Because his, his producer name was Chastise. His real name is Joel Chastine. Yeah. Okay. Very well. You know, when you're reading your bio uh, on your website, uh, you talk about when you left, um, when you left the military, you were you're immediately starting to see signs of post-traumatic stress disorder um, and that the symptoms were sort of uh, increasing uh, at, a, at a sort of a rapid pace. T- tell us about that experience and were you aware of what you were experiencing at the time um, and were, when were you actually diagnosed? So, yeah, after getting out of the Marine Corps in 2007, I pretty much immediately started to notice um, – Anger issues was the first thing that I noticed. I noticed that I had a high level of irritability. Um, Really simple things would piss me off immediately. Like, for example, if I was walking around somewhere in public, like in a store, and somebody accidentally bumped into me, that would irritate the crap out of me. I would get extremely mad to the point where I would almost want to fight the person, even though it was not their fault and it was just a complete accident. Um, Loud noises would bother me. Anything that sounded like gunshots, like um, balloons popping, glasses hitting the ground on accident, you know, um, things that were flat, hitting a flat surface and causing that really loud popping sound. Um, 
as well as uh, my anxiety was going up, like I would get nervous in certain situations or I would get really tense in certain situations. I noticed that I had to, whenever I was in public, like if for instance, I went out to a restaurant, I had to sit in a chair or, you know, a, a booth where I could see the front entrance of the of the venue so that if anybody were to walk in the venue with a weapon or any kind of ill intentions, I could do what I needed to do. Um, what else? I had depression. So there were days when I would sit and cry all day in, in bed. There were days when I wouldn't leave the house. Um, there were days when I, I didn't enjoy doing everyday things. Um so I noticed these things probably in, yeah, in 2007, just after leaving the Marine Corps um, in early 2007. Yeah. When, so did you, um, like, at what point then do you decide to acknowledge it and either get a diagnosis or get treatment for it? Um, so... 2000 and yeah, 2000, late 2007 was when I, I, I ended up getting help. Um, and it happened because up to that point, I hadn't really acknowledged it. I knew that something was wrong with me. I knew that I was acting differently, but I didn't know why. And there was an incident that happened at home because at the time I was living, I moved back in with my family and I was living with my mom and my brother. And um, a violent incident happened at home with my brother between me and my brother and my mom walked out of the living room and found us in the middle of this incident and she didn't know what to do. So she freaked out and called the police and, um, the police officer luckily was a veteran, um, who arrived on the call. And so he recognized that I had PTSD and he asked me like, have you had any help for it prior to this? And I said, no. And so I got lucky. And basically he said, um, you have two options. He said, I can treat you like a civilian and I can charge you with assault with a deadly weapon and take you to jail. Or I can treat you like a veteran and I will personally drive you to the VA and get you whatever help you need to get so that you can get over this anger issues and this PTSD that you have. And obviously I took the second option and I had him drive me to the VA. And that's when I started realizing that I had PTSD and then that's when I started getting help for it. Wow. Um, so through, through all of this, are you still creating music? Um, no, at that point I had stopped creating music because I was so, you know, worried about, and I was so involved with my issues. Um, and so at that point I was just in survival mode. I was in, I was, that's when my, I call it my gray area. My gray area is my way of describing the time when I was really bad with my PTSD and it was really affecting my life. And I didn't really, um, I wasn't making any progress. So that for me, that period was from 2007 to 2015. Um, and so I was, that was the beginning of my gray area at that time. Um, if you don't mind, when, like, how did you, how did you end up becoming homeless that's actually how i ended up becoming homeless the story i just told you so when i got because what happened was i went to the va and um the police officer drove me to the va and what they did was they put me on a 5150 hole for three days for 72 hours and after that i was released and um you know because they realized that it wasn't super super dangerous or severe so they they put me on some medication while i was there they released me when i went home my mom was basically like no you can't come back here. We're scared of you. You know, after what happened, we don't, you know, we don't know what's going on with you. We can't trust you. We think we feel like you're dangerous. And so you can't live here. So I ended up going back to the VA 
and speaking to them. And I was at the time they were working on between that day and the time I got admitted to Vogue or not Vogue, um, the time I got admitted to uh, um, the place where I ended up living. Um, I was living in homeless facility. Yeah. So I was living in my car for about, I want to say about a week. And then um, I ended up getting accepted into um, a, a place with U.S. vets in Long Beach. I can't remember. Oh, Villages of Cabrillo. Okay. So um, there's a facility in Long Beach, California called Villages of Cabrillo, which is basically a homeless facility or a transitional housing facility for veterans. And um, I got accepted into that facility. And so I started living there. Uh, you know, in your in your. Um uh, in your story on your website, you uh, after you talk about uh, your time with homelessness, says uh, for lived there for about a year. I started and I started my long road to recovery. What what experiences were you having in that year in that facility that was helping uh, helping nurture a recovery and sort of be the catalyst to to new growth? It was the biggest thing was definitely the, uh, the, the, I found out that there was actually a support system for veterans because prior to all this stuff happening, I didn't know that there was a large support system and, um, multiple organizations out there that are designed to support veterans and help veterans. Um, and so for me, it was the big noticing of support, the backbone that I was given by different organizations, the VA itself, um, U.S. vets, you know, the different organizations that are out there, the staff members at those organizations. Um, it was being treated, even though I knew I had an issue, it was being treated like I didn't have an issue, like they didn't treat me like, you know, this this combat veteran with horrible PTSD who was going through this crazy time. They just treated me like a veteran. They treated me with respect. They treated me with dignity. Um, they were there for me when I needed them. They helped me find work. Um, they helped me get back on my feet as much as they could. Um, and so it was, it was just the, the support system that really st- stood out to me. So uh, when did you start making music again? Um, I started making music again in 2015, I want to say, um, because between about 2007 and 2015, there were other incidents that happened with um, school because 2007 to 2015, I, I recovered slightly. Like I, I got to the point where I was able to function, but I wasn't completely, quote unquote, better yet. My PTSD was still affecting me. And there's more to the story, my story that um, like I went to school, like from basically 2007 to 2010, I was kind of in a, in a just a, a holding pattern, I guess you could say. I was working random jobs. I ended up moving out of the facility in Long Beach and moving in with um, a couple of old high school friends. I ended up sleeping on a couch. I was couch surfing um, on my best friend's couch for like a couple of years. Um, and then I ended up meeting a woman and we started dating and then she let me move in with her and her mom. And then I started going to college and then me and her broke up. And so, um, I started going to college using the, uh, post nine 11 GI bill. And, um, I went from to college from 2010 to 2013, but I was still in that gray phase. So I wasn't completely better. And so my PTSD was still affecting me. And I ended up having to drop out of college in 2013 because I hadn't really mastered my PTSD yet and gotten to learn how to adapt to it completely. And so it was causing me a lot of issues with school. Like I couldn't focus in classes. I was having, still having some anger issues. I was having really bad depression issues. There were days when I would even wake up and go to class. I would just cry all day at home. Um, and so 
2013 was when I kind of went back to the VA and I started getting more help. So what, how did your, um, you know, as, as you're slowly getting back into music, um, like what we, we just, were you doing any performing? Were you just writing? Were you like, what was sort of like, uh, you know, bring us through that creative process of like getting familiar with music again. Um, and what parts of it were, were therapeutic? So, yeah. So in 2013, I met a counselor at the, um, the vet center in Corona and she gave me the advice of using music as therapy because I told her about the fact that I had been doing music since I was a kid. And the therapeutic part of music for me has always been songwriting and performing and being able to get things off my chest. Um, so I didn't know this, but she explained the whole scientific aspect of it to me about adrenaline. Cause part of my issue is I'm also an adrenaline addict. And so she explained to me that like when I perform on stage, I get an adrenaline addict, like that, that nervous energy, that rush that you get right before you go up on stage or while you're up on stage performing. Um, that's an actually an adrenaline release, an endorphin release. And she also told me about how I could use music as a way to get things off my chest. And so that's how music is therapeutic for me. It's the mix of live performances and that adrenaline rush I get also mixed with the ability to write about experiences that I've gone through, like the song Gunshots I released, for example, like my upcoming single Fight Back is a song about fighting back against depression and PTSD and anxiety or whatever mental illness people are fighting. Um, so being able to express myself and tell my story through my music has been extremely therapeutic for me because a lot of veterans isolate themselves and a lot of veterans don't want to talk about what they went through. And I was one of those veterans when I was back in 2007, 2015, when I was in my great, my, you know, my cloud, um, my gray phase, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about my experiences in Ramadi. I didn't want to talk about my depression. I wanted to just cover it up and act like I was fine. You know, when people would ask me, Oh, how are you? You know, my typical response would be like, Oh, I'm great. How are you? You know, when the right. reality was I was horrible, you know, I was going through a really bad time. And so this finally music finally gave me an outlet to be able to tell, tell people about my experiences and actually tell the truth about what I was going through and about my everyday battle with PTSD. So it was therapeutic in those types of ways. So you recently, um, you recently collaborated with a friend of mine uh, who goes by the moniker The Marine Rapper. Right, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and a, a song called Gunshots. And yeah. you know, one thing that I, uh, that I appreciated about the video that you did um, was the, you know, the video shows a couple instances where you know, a veteran may be acting, acting weird in, in public, right? Sort of, you know, experiencing some sort of flashbacks or PTSD, ducking behind a counter or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I think what I appreciated about it was I think it, it, it displays the awkwardness that it is for everybody, right? I think that's something that, yeah. that people sort of uh, don't understand is while it's uncomfortable and weird for the people who don't understand what's going on, it's just as awkward and uncomfortable for the veteran to experience that and realize that they just did that in public. Yeah, it is. It's because that, that, that story and that scene actually came from something that I experienced personally. I just kind of twisted it in the video to make it a little bit different. Um, so 
while I was going through my gray phase, there was a day when I was in an, um, a grocery store and <clears throat> there was a family that had just walked into the store and I was in the fruit section looking for um, some bananas and I happened to be next to the tomatoes. And um, this kid, this young boy, I think he was probably about five or six, was carrying a balloon. And it looked like they had just come back from either some kind of graduation or a birthday party or something. They had celebratory balloons with them. Somehow the balloon that the kid had got popped. In my mind, that was a gunshot. And I immediately ducked behind the counter that was in front of me, which was the tomato counter, that like little tr mountain that they have at grocery stores yeah. with the, um, the fruits and vegetables on them. So I ducked behind there and the family immediately looked over at me and like, like kind of like, what the hell is wrong with that guy? Like, why is he hiding behind the counter? It was just a kid popping a balloon. It's no big deal. And so I got so embarrassed that I literally just walked out of the store and I didn't even finish my grocery shopping. Um, and I went home. And so that's where that scene came from. I just twisted it a little bit and I, I made it a different location, different environment. But pretty much the same thing happened in that scene where um, the guy drops the coffee mug and the coffee mug bouncing on the ground sounds like gunfire from like a machine gun to him. And so he ducks behind the counter in the store. Yeah. What? Um how how often do you get to, how often do you get to collaborate with other veterans because i'm sure there's there you know it, it makes the content more powerful because you have um two similar experiences from different perspectives but um ones that you know sort of empathize with each other i try to honestly i try to um collaborate with other veterans as much as i can when it comes to music um, because of the fact that a lot of like, you know, a lot of what I write about is veteran related. Um, even though I tr I'm trying now to not limit myself to just veteran related content because I want other people who are non-veterans to be able to relate to my music. Um, when I do write about veteran topics, I definitely try to, um, collaborate with other veterans on the topic because obviously they're first perspective individuals on that topic. Um, and a lot of people don't know this, but actually the guy who produced um, the beat for Gunshots is an Air Force veteran. And so Gunshots, as far as the music goes, was completely done through veterans. The, the Air Force veteran produced it. I was the singer and then TMR was the rapper and we're all veterans. And so that was actually a thrill for me to be able to put out a song that was completely constructed by all veterans. So I've done I've done a lot of work in veteran suicide not only sharing my own experiences but but helping share the experiences of others and um after doing that for a few years on the back side of it um i had a hard time getting back into doing that work simply because i wasn't in that space anymore um you know i was you know my my mentally i was i i had you know i fortunately had been able to like develop and pro progress and stuff like that where do you feel like you are right now when it as a creative um addressing the things that you have been through that you're currently going through um as far as it goes as far as like the, how that's influencing what you're creating i feel like i am as advanced as i've ever been um as far as I'm, I'm out of my gray cloud. I've been out of my gray cloud for three years now. Um, so I'm back to a mental state where I can put logical music together, think straight, not really have the symptoms that I used to have. Um, I'm at a point now where I can express what I've been through without feeling worried about being judged. 
um, because I've seen the positivity that has come out of like gunshots, for example, the feedback that I've gotten from both the veteran community and the civilian community has been nothing but love. And so that has encouraged me to continue that and has encouraged me to continue being an outlet for mental illness an outlet for PTSD and outlet for the veteran community. Um, and so at the, at this point right now, I'm at a point where I'm proud to do what I do and I'm proud to tell my story and I'm proud to be able to tell that dirty side of what veterans go through and that ugly side of what veterans go through. Because now that I've seen the positivity that can come out of it, I know that me telling my story and doing a song about what we've been through or doing songs about what we've been through, doing music videos, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It might be an outlet for other veterans, you know, like a veteran might, you know, for instance, listen to this podcast and be like, wow, he had, you know, the gonads to be like, look, this is exactly what I went through, even though it sucks. And even though it was horrible, I'm going to tell my story and tell about what I went through. So then that veteran might turn around and be like, look, you know what? It's possible. If Elliot could do it, I can do it too. You know, and for example, one of the one of the feedbacks that I got from gunshots was there was a, a kid, like a 15 year old kid who DM'd me on Instagram after watching the video. And he said, this is what happened. He said, my grandpa's a Vietnam veteran. When he got back from Vietnam, he shut down. He wouldn't talk to us about what he went through. He shut down when it came to talking to the family about anything military related. He said, don't talk to me about it. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to hear about it. Don't ask me questions. Just shut up about it. And then I saw your music video and I played it for him. And about three quarters of the way through the music video, he started crying and he broke down and he finally opened up to us about what he went through in Vietnam. And he said he spent about two days talking to the family about everything that went on in Vietnam. And it's stuff like that that keeps me doing what I do. And it's stuff like that and that kind of feedback and stories I hear about stuff like that happening with other veterans, seeing that I was able to open up and then that triggering them being able to open up. That's where I'm at right now. And I'm proud. I'm proud of the fact that I could do stuff like that for people. So I think that, um, what I really, what I think is really interesting about the um, about current conflict veterans, um, Iraq and Afghanistan veterans, is um, there's there's so many ways that um, that we connect or that we resonate with other eras, and right. I think when it comes to the Vietnam veterans, um, they it was like this circle of um, sorry, what? they ensured that our service was not going to be taken for granted. Right. When, right. when that first plane back from, uh, from Fallujah, from Iraq, from Afghanistan, when those first planes were coming back, it was, right. the, it was the Vietnam veterans that were, f that were going to the airport to welcome home the troops. And that's right. when, and, and then we got the support, your support, the troops movement and, and, you know, people start like the yellow ribbons and stuff like that. And then a decade later, after, after our generation has reached almost the pinnacle of being appreciated and being recognized and all of that, um, as a direct line from the efforts from the Vietnam veterans, I think that w as we come back and we, make music we do talks we do ted talks we do uh we 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 create we share and current conflict veterans have made it we, we've normalized 
expressing what we've been through, how it's made us feel, accepting that PTSD, TBIs are real, are realities of war, that depression and transition and stuff like that are all difficult. And we have helped Vietnam War era veterans open up about what they're going through, getting diagnosed with their PTSD, opening up about their depression, their anxiety. Um, and I think that uh, it's it's been as a as someone who's both in the veteran space and someone who's observed it from afar because I'm not a combat veteran it has been remarkable to see those two things happen within the same decade and how powerful it's been for both generations yeah it has been um whenever i go to the va for appointments and i'm in the waiting room i always see older veterans from the vietnam era and i talk to them and it's amazing to see how much they've grown because I remember the days back when you're right, Vietnam vets wouldn't open up and they wouldn't talk about it. And now whenever I go to the VA, Vietnam era veterans are the majority of the veterans that I run into. You know, and now I hardly ever see young veterans my age from Iraq or Afghanistan. Most of the veterans that I see are from the older generations. And yeah. so it's good to see that they're there opening up and getting the help that they deserve. Absolutely. Uh, Elliot, tell me, tell me, give me a skill set or an experience that you had in the military that you think is contributing to your success today. Um, okay. So while we were in Okinawa, I was meritoriously promoted to corporal by my master guns in my unit. And I was given a whole lot of new responsibilities that I didn't have before. Like for instance, about, I want to say maybe a month or two after I was promoted, I was made the um, I was in the S3 shop at the time and I was made the uh, training NCO for our battalion. And then I was also sent to uh, this course called C2PC course, which is basically a course for officers only. And they only allow a small amount of enlisted Marines into this course. It was a three day course for a um, a computer program that officers use um, field grade officers use to basically I'm trying to figure out how to put this together so that people understand it. It's basically like a almost imagine a video game, like a war video game on a computer where you can map out the battlefield, map out your unit, map out where you think the enemy units are, and then map out how you're going to attack or defend in this situation on the ground. Um, and so it's a program that does that. And I got trained on that program and I got sent back to my battalion and I was working directly with like with the battalion commander, with the higher ups in the battalion to teach them how to use the program and then actually use the program. And they actually gave me responsibility to the point where they were asking me, OK, if we end up here in this area and we're on land and this situation occurs, show us on C2PC how you would design the, the battlefield. And it was that transition from being a lance corporal to being not only a corporal, but a corporal that was treated like almost like a staff sergeant, to be honest with you, um, that gave me a lot of responsibility and it really made me mature very, very quickly. And it um, taught me how to lead, um, even if you're not even like if you're not super high on this on the on the chain of command, how to be a leader like you are on, super high on the chain of command. Because like I said, I was working directly with the, the battalion commander. I was working with majors and colonels and even a general, uh, a one star general that was on the ship at the time. And so that maturity that I gained from those experiences and the responsibility that I was given, I think that maturity has contributed to what has enabled me to do what I'm doing now with my music and the um, effect that I'm able to express myself and get things off my chest and, um, you know, 
do what I'm doing pretty much. Yeah. So tell me about a veteran or a veteran organization that you're familiar with that has you excited about what they're doing right now. Okay. So there's this great organization that I'm a part of, um, called merging vets and players, MVP. My oh, we know merging vets and players. Yeah. Cause so yeah. I live in, I live in LA where their, um, their headquarters is located. Um, and so I've, I've been going to workouts with them for a small amount of time, probably like six months now. Um, and they're a great organization because what they do is they take either current or former professional athletes and then combat, not just combat, but all veterans. Um, and we do workouts once a week. So every, I think it's Wednesdays now they changed it. Wednesdays at 7 PM at a special gym in Hollywood where these, um, some, um, celebrities work out there, athletes work out there. And the organization was founded and ran is now ran by, um, Jay Glazer, which, who is, a uh, one of the Fox 11 NFL, um, you know, announcers. And then also, um, a former army green beret and, uh, Seattle Seahawks. So he got out of the army and then became a long snapper for the Seattle Seahawks. And so those two got together and started MVP. And so I like MVP because of the fact that it's, it's a family environment and it's, it's, even though it's only once a week, all the veterans that are involved stay in contact with each other. We're all friends on Facebook. We all have each other's numbers. We text each other. We check up on each other. Um, MVP holds events like barbecues and hikes and, you know, things like that, you know, every now and then. So it's not just the workouts. You do other events with them as well. Um, it is now a nationally, if not globally known organization. Um, it's well known amongst the NFL because Jay Glazer is, you know, an NFL announcer. And a lot of the veteran or the, a lot of the uh, athletes who come work out with us are either active duty or former NFL um, players. Like a lot of the Rams players come work out with us since it's in L.A. and the uh, Rams are in L.A. right now. We've had Chargers come work out with us. Um, Mike McCarthy, the Green Bay Packers head coach, is one of the biggest donators to the organization. Um, so we've had Aaron Rodgers in the gym. We've had. Demi Lovato in the gym, you know, there's a lot of different celebrities who come to the gym and work out with the veterans. Like for instance, um, Wiz Khalifa, who's a famous rapper, he comes and works out and he, he wears MVP shirts and he supports the organization. So it's kind of cool to be able to hang out with those types of individuals as well as get the support from the organization and the other veterans that are in the organization. Not as, not only that, but you also get a good workout. The workouts that we do are pretty intense. So if you're looking to get in shape, um, it's a good way to get in shape at least once a week, um, get a good workout in and then release some endorphins through the workout, which also helps with depression and anxiety and things like that, too. Yeah, absolutely. And the uh, the Army veteran that you're, you're speaking of that uh, helps uh, that helps you know, build that organization Nate is Nate Boyer. Yeah, who yeah, Nate Boyer, who was on on episode 63 and he's he talks uh, a little bit more about uh, the organization. So anybody who's curious about it, go check out episode 63 to hear uh, Nate expand on that. But that's cool. I didn't I didn't realize uh, Wiz Khalifa was getting in the merging vets and players, Jim. I don't know. Oh, yeah, that that yeah. amuses me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually the other way around. MVP is getting in their gym because the the gym where all the workouts are housed is a gym that's owned by um uh I kind of I hate this TBI man it kills me. <laughs> um the guy who the guy who was a Fox announcer I just said his name ten seconds oh, Glazer, ago. Glazer yeah. Glazer, yeah. So it's owned by Glazer, and it's one of those private secret gyms that celebrities go to work out so they won't gotcha. be bothered by their fans okay. and bothered by paparazzi. That's why I said Demi Lovato works out there. You know, Wiz Khalifa works out there. Usher works out there. There's a whole bunch of, you yeah. know, 
A-list celebrities who work out there um, because it's protected and it's secret so they can't be bothered. Right. Um, and so um, MVP just happens to work out there as well since it's owned by Jake, Jake Laser and he happened to start MVP. So a lot of the times that we do the workouts, there's these celebrities there as well. And either they'll join us or they'll talk to us or they'll engage with us. And so um, it, that's also a nice experience too to be able to you know mingle with those types of people who are that way and see them as – regular people, you know, like Wiz Khalifa, for instance, you would think somebody that famous and somebody that huge is, you know, egotistical, whatever, you know, a lot of people assume about celebrities, but when he's with us, he's completely chill. He's a jokester. He'll run around and play with us. He'll work out with us. Like he's completely down to earth. So it's, it's kind of nice to be able to see, you know, people like him and other people who go there, um, just kind of in a relaxed setting, you know, where they're not having to be in front of the camera and, you know, they'll hang out with us and chill with us. And, you know, so, yeah, it's, it's cool. I really appreciate your time, Elliot. Um, it was uh, a pleasure talking to you. Um, I, I assume I, I listened to it. I didn't pick up on, on any like profanity. I, I imagine gunshots is probably okay for radio, clean enough for radio. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Gunshots is, is actually all my, as of right now. There, yeah, all my music is actually good for radio. So yeah, gunshots will be good. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, we'll throw it at the end of the at the end of the podcast so people can uh, can listen to what we were referencing um, and sort of and maybe and get a better idea of, of what you were talking about as far as what the song was about and the imagery. Um, where where can people find you if if they're if they're interested in more of your music? So I have a website and that's the best way, uh, excuse me, to get a hold of me. My website is elliotmckenzie.com. So it's www.elliottmckenzie. So two L's and two T's and Elliot. Um, so elliotmckenzie.com. Um, I also have Instagram, which is the second best way to get a hold of me, um, which is um, at Elliot underscore. McKenzie again two L's and two T's in that um, you can send me a DM on Instagram and then on the website there's a contact section and when you type an email into there I'll immediately get an email from the website saying some, someone contacted me um, or just send me a DM on Instagram. Very well. Elliot, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for telling us about your service, your your time after, your experiences uh, in, in and after transition and about your music and uh, Semper Fi, sir. Of course, Semper Fi to you too, bro. grandfather served in World War II. Spending time with him were the best memories of my life. I became a physician at VA because of my grandfather, so I can help others like him. I can't imagine working with better doctors or a more dedicated staff. I'm fulfilling my life's mission with the help of my team and thanks to these veterans. I'm proud to be a doctor at VA and proud to honor my grandfather every day. Search VA Careers to find out more. Again, big thanks to Elliot McKenzie for joining me. It was a pleasure talking to him. Uh, ElliotMcKenzie.com uh, is the website you can go if you want to learn more about him as an artist, uh, if you want to reach out to him for uh, any of the endeavors that he mentioned. Again, I want to reiterate, VA.gov has the alert banner with the link to our updates on Hurricane Michael visit that page, click that link to get updates on the uh, the operation status of the facilities that are down south in the area, in the path of Hurricane Michael. Um, of course, the, the 
the biggest concerns, of course, with medical centers uh, and our outpatient clinics so, uh, and vet centers as well, of course. So click that, stay up to date. That way we'll also be tweeting and, and posting on Facebook as there's updates as well. This week's Medal of Honor citation reading is for Ronald Schur II. Uh, Ronald Schur II is the most recent Medal of Honor recipient. Uh, service is U.S. Army. He was the rank of Staff Sergeant. Conflict was the War on Terror in Afghanistan. Year of Honor is 2008. Citation reads, Staff Sergeant Ronald J. Schur II distinguished himself by acts of gallantry and intrepidity above and beyond the call of duty on April 6, 2008, while serving as a Senior Medical Sergeant, Special Forces Operation Detachment Alpha 3336, Special Operations Task Force TAC-33, in support of Operation Enduring Freedom. Staff Sergeant Schur was a part of an assault element inserted by helicopter into a location in Afghanistan. As the assault element moved up a near vertical mountain towards its objective, it was engaged by fierce enemy machine gun, sniper, and rocket-propelled grenade fire. The lead portion of the assault element, which included the ground commander, sustained several casualties and became pinned down on the mountainside. Staff Sergeant Schur and the rest of the trailing portion of the assault element were likewise engaged by enemy machine gun, sniper, and rocket-propelled grenade fire. As the attack intensified, Staff Sergeant Schur braved enemy fire to move to an injured soldier and treat his wounds. Having stabilized the injured soldier, Staff Sergeant Schur then learned of the casualties among the lead element. Staff Sergeant Schur fought his way up the mountainside under intense enemy fire to the lead element's location. Upon reaching the lead element, he treated and stabilized two more soldiers. Finishing those life-saving efforts, Staff Sergeant Schur noticed two additional severely wounded soldiers under intense enemy fire. The bullet that had wounded one of these soldiers had also impacted Staff Sergeant Schur's helmet. With complete disregard for his own life, Staff Sergeant Schur again moved through enemy fire to treat and stabilize one soldier's severely wounded arm. Shortly thereafter, Staff Sergeant Schur continued to brave withering enemy fire to get to the other soldier's location in order to treat his lower leg, which had almost been completely severed by a high-caliber sniper round. After treating the soldier, Staff Sergeant Schur began to evacuate the wounded, carrying and lowering them down the sheer mountainside. While moving down the mountain, Staff Sergeant Schur used his own body to shield the wounded from enemy fire and debris caused by danger close airstrikes. Reaching the base of the mountain, Staff Sergeant Schur set up a casualty collection point and continued to treat the wounded. With the arrival of the medical evacuation helicopter, Staff Sergeant Schur again under enemy fire helped load the wounded into the helicopter. Having ensured the safety of the wounded, Staff Sergeant Schur then regained control of his commando squad and rejoined the fight. He continued to lead his troops and and place security elements until it was time to move the evacuation landing zone for the helicopter. Staff Sergeant Schur's actions are in keeping with the finest traditions of military service and reflect great credit upon himself, Combined Joint Special Operations Task Force Afghanistan, Special Operations Command Central, and the United States Army.
we honor his service. That wraps up episode 119. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I know there's a lot of options out there for entertainment, so it does mean a lot that you decided to spend some time listening to these powerful veteran stories. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DEPT Vet Affairs for more stories and images from our community. Until next week, I am Timothy Lawson, signing off. Station all around my position. Oh, yeah, yeah. Training kicks in cover concealment. Oh, yeah. Adrenaline's pumping, heartbeats thumping. I'm in fight or flight mode. Beach racing, then I get angry, must kill the enemy. But then I realize I'm back home. Sounds like gunshots everywhere I go. Makes me wanna hit the flow. Yeah. Heartbeats racing out of time. Cause I think I'm out of time. What the hell is wrong with him? Yeah. Whoa, whoa. They don't know what I hear when I hear that sound. Yeah. I hear combat. Adrenaline's pumping, heartbeats thumping. I'm in fight or flight mode. Beats racing, then I get angry, must kill the enemy. But then I realize I'm back home. Sounds like gunshots everywhere I go. Makes me wanna hit the flow. Yeah. Everywhere I go. Yeah. Heartbeats racing out of time. Amazing feet, life been slippery As a veteran marine, when you come back No one knows the scene, but you've been through All the things that keeps you from your sleep Or makes it hard to breathe when you come back Sitting here in class, when I first heard Something crash, reminded me of that blast From an enemy out in a rat when you come back Hearing them gunshot, landing on my paws Thinking all is lost, in central Alambar And this is killing me, killing me slowly Skipping my, skipping my heartbeat Flipping out, flipping out constant, on all of the people who love me So many ones that I punched Splinters and splinters and knuckles Everyone seeming to bug me Don't none of you, none of you touch me Now give me my distance All of you foes Girl say I'm different Really the fiction I cannot tell What is the difference Now I'm just tripping I always revisit that time And no six when I was with the infantry Rockets was zipping and bullets was snapping And when I came back to you hear what I'm hearing Sounds like gunshots everywhere I go